Hi, this is Pastor Brian, though uh, just Brian works too. I'd like to welcome you to my office. Of course, you can't see me, but I'm sitting at my desk. As many of you know, I'm on the second floor of the main building across the hallway from Patty and Dolly, who uh, oversee our children's ministries. Some of you who are listening might not know that I'm here because we've canceled our services due to the uh, coronavirus. And so we'll be keeping in touch in a lot of other ways, maybe more than ever, uh, including this way. This is uh, Sunday, March 15th, 2020. The first Sunday that really churches across this country, in fact, across the world, have had to disband in what you might call a, uh, a great dispersion. I've been thinking about that. Last week, the title of Mark's sermon was, <laughs> Kick Us Out, Lord. And so, a week later, here we are. Maybe I should greet you like James did to the 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad. Greetings. He kicked them out, too. You're out there for a reason. And for that reason to be accomplished, we all need to stay true on our one foundation, which is what I'd like to talk about today. For those of you who have never uh, been up here, my desk faces the door. I'm looking at my favorite books on my right, the only ones I brought with me, uh, six shelves full of Bible commentaries. By the wall in front of me is a shelf with uh, nothing but Bibles. On my left are a bunch of family pictures. They're lined up on the ledge, this ledge of a large whiteboard that's on the wall. On the corner of my desk, there's a, a wooden globe, one that I brought back from Haiti in 2006, I think it was. Behind me is the window. It's where I keep the wood carving that my folks left me, the one that says, great is thy faithfulness, the one that's now <laughs> over our journey wall. It's usually resting on top of the, the, uh, the, the first sash of the window, halfway up, uh, looking over me. And on the windowsill is the, uh, the sculpture of the prodigal son in the father's arms, the, the arms of his grace and mercy that always surround us, though we can't see, which is why it's behind me. It's the sculpture that was in, uh, in front of the lectern during our solemn assembly in the sanctuary uh, last year. I'm, I'm saying all this because I want you to know what these things mean, and that is that I'm situated in a very good place as are all of you, which is actually what I want to talk about today, how we're always safe in the Father's arms, if we know Christ is our Savior, who came to bring us there. What I have here in my office about sums it up. We're safe in his arms, like the prodigal behind me. Because great is his faithfulness over all our families, no matter how many pictures there may be of them. Over all the world, his faithfulness is great, even in Haiti. And we know that from his word, especially as it fills our offices and our homes and our hearts. I never thought I'd be doing a podcast, which I guess is what this is or something like it. I'd never done one before. And I've got to admit, I kind of like it because now I can go as long as I want. But uh, on the other hand, as I'm sure you've already thought, you can just turn me off and you'll, you'll never be found out. So I'm not sure what I think about all this and <clears throat> you're probably feeling the same way. So here I am and there you are, where we never thought we'd be just a week ago. It could be that everything uh, will change even more in the weeks to come, but really, if you think about it in another way, 
in a, a, a deeper way. In all the most important ways, nothing has changed. And if there's anything that we need to keep in mind at a time like this, of all the ways that uh, nothing has changed, I can't imagine what could be more important, and that is the reality that under it all, those of us who are Christ followers are safe in the Father's arms. It was exactly a year ago yesterday that we first met. I've been thinking back, maybe many of you have too, that we first met over there in the sanctuary, which is down the hallway to my right. It was on a Saturday on March 16th when I shared about Interim Pastor Ministries before you, you voted on our coming here. Remember the PowerPoint presentation and uh, the great discussion that we had back and forth? I don't know if you remember, but before all the discussion and the, the uh, uh, presentation, I began with the devotional about Christ, about Christ and the uh, storm on the Sea of Galilee. And my main point was that the most important thing to do when you're in a crisis, for your own sake, for, for the sake of, of those you love and for the sake of those who don't know Christ, the most important thing that you can do is to bring an unanxious presence to the crisis, just like Christ did. It's, it's to go into the world in peace. And why is that so important? You may remember that I mentioned uh, Edmund Freeman's classic book on church leadership, and there's a chapter in it called Leadership and Self in a Congregational Family. It applies to all of us. He said, in any crisis, you must separate yourself from the surrounding emotional climate. You must be well differentiated the critical factor is in the nature of your own being, and in particular, your capacity to maintain an objective distance and a non-anxious presence. He says what this kind of presence can do is this. Perhaps the transformer in an electrical circuit is the best illustration for the effect of your presence, he says. Household current in the United States is generally 110 volts but through a step-up transformer, it's transported at 11,000 volts because it's cheaper to transport it that way. And there, he says, lies the picture. As one leader I worked with said, my mother was a step-up transformer. If there was anxiety in the room and she was present, you could count on it escalating. It went into her at 110 and came out at 11,000. Then Freeman concludes with this. It is also possible to be a step down transformer in such a way that you let the current go through you without zapping you or fusing you to the rest of the circuit that surrounds you. This is not easy. It has far more to do with your presence than your actions. To the extent that you can maintain a non-anxious presence in a highly energized anxiety field, you can have the same effects on that field that transformers have on an electrical circuit. Transformers have no moving parts. They produce the potential in a field by nature of their own, they reduce the potential in the field by the nature of their own presence and being. It requires staying in touch without getting zapped. Anyone can remain non-anxious if they're also non-present. The trick is to be both non-anxious and present, at peace and in touch simultaneously. That's why peace is so important, especially at times like these. But what does it look like and how, how can you get it? 
Well, it looks like, if you think about it, the Prince of Peace. It looks like Christ in the storm on the Sea of Galilee, as, uh, which was the devotional I gave back then. It looks like Christ whenever and wherever we see him. In many ways, it's foundational to everything else. That's why in every one of Paul's letters, again and again, he said, grace to you and peace. That's why he prayed that the Lord of peace himself would grant you peace in every circumstance. First Thess 3.16. Isn't that what we need right now? And what we'll most need maybe in the days to come? I've got to admit that I fall um, in and out of it. It's not always in every circumstance, for me anyway, that I can find peace. But I found that I, I stay in it more regularly and the more I stay in Christ Jesus, who brings us to the Father, the Father, who you might say is the ultimate step-down transformer. The Son brings all of us prodigals to the Father to experience what he does all the time, just like in the Son in the statue behind me, who's safe in the Father's arms. You know, as I've been thinking about it, at times like these, we don't need new information. We need to really digest what we already know. Someone said that the essence of teaching is uh, reminding. And reminding can bring the comfort of the familiar in unfamiliar times. So let's go from a year ago yesterday to the first, uh, uh, the first time we talked to the Sunday after our solemn assembly late uh, last year in early December when we were celebrating the peace that God had brought to our body. Remember that? We looked on that Sunday at the Prince of Peace and how in him we can be safe, safe in the Father's arms. Do you remember what I said? Let's go back to what may feel like another day, to December 8th, 2019, for what I hope will be the comfort of the familiar. From the very beginning, Christ had the peace of God and he brought it to so many others, even to his own mother. It was there even when he was separated from his parents for three days at the age of 12, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. I mean, just look at them versus him in this story, this famous story. Talk about a study in anxiety and uh, a study in anxiety versus his serenity. It's Luke 2, verse 48, where his mother said, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Can you imagine how worried they were after three days? But he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He didn't respond anxiously or, or angrily to his parents, to their anxiety. It didn't provoke him which was a huge feat, if you think about it, for a 12-year-old. There's so much here, but overall, from the beginning, Christ was differentiated from the world around him, just as we can be when we're centered in him, as we'll see, even in the stress of life. He brought a, a, a non-anxious presence that didn't absorb the emotional fields around him. He lived above the climate of his environment. Wouldn't you love to do that? From the very beginning, he would, he would like stay connected with people while step, uh, staying separated from them. He was proactive in the right way because he wasn't reactive. He wasn't reactive to the, the reactivity of others. And of all, all of who he was flowed out of this from what you might call the centeredness 
of his own peace. From the beginning, Christ was for them and Christ was with them, but he wasn't exactly of them. In, in the volatility that so often raged around him, he was like a step-down transformer. So much that, that, that it says he centered his own mother. She went from like this fearful questioning that we just read about to, to treasuring these things within her, to, to peaceful treasuring, to treasuring this whole experience within her. And how did he find his peace? What did he do to get it? What can we do to get it, even in the stress of life? Well, it's all in what he said at the heart of this story in Luke 2, 49. He said, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is like the first early life story that we have. It's the only story from his childhood. And, and it's there for a purpose because it says everything. It's foundational to who he was. It was the sign of his ultimate priority to be centered in the Father. He had such serenity. He was set apart from all that was so crazy around him because in the arms of the Father, he knew such security. And safe in his arms, in his house, we're the same way here at the beginning of his life if we practice what he did. At the end of his life, we, we, we see him there again in the same place. But this time he tells us how he gets there. It was when he cleansed the temple. And, uh, and at that time he said it was supposed to be a house of prayer, as all of you probably remember a house of prayer. When Solomon dedicated the temple, it was all about its being a house of prayer. And that's what God called it in Isaiah 56, 7. And so that's the first thing that came to Christ's mind when he thought about it when he was cleansing the temple. Of all the things that the temple was for, because that's what he did there and that's how he got there again and again through worship and prayer, as he did through the instruments and singers there. And as he went on to tell the Samaritan woman, you can do that now anytime you want. He said that the Father is seeking such people to be his worshipers who do it in spirit and truth anywhere. So here in the earliest story of Christ's life after his birth, at the age of 12, we see really the sign and secret of the peace of Christ and of all else that came from him. And that is, he was always in the Father's house, just like we can be. You might say that the first story from his biography gives the, 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 the GPS coordinate of his location spiritually wherever he went geographically. So we could locate ourselves too to worship in spirit and truth uh, anywhere. He was, he, he was born to bring us home, he, to bring us to God, as it says in 1 Peter 3, home to the Father. And he himself never left home. He was stayed upon Jehovah as we, uh, like we sing. And so he found perfect peace and rest. So it's like what David said in Psalm 27. One thing have I asked from the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. 
When he said that, he didn't mean that he went. He 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 wanted to live in the temple physically, but that he wanted to stay there spiritually wherever he lived. And he confirms that this is what he meant in the next verse, verse five. One thing have I asked the Lord and be in his house for, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. The spiritual house of the Lord is a secret place. It's a hidden place. It's a shelter and protection. It's a high place like a rock. It's a stronghold in the house in the day of trouble. David wanted this one thing above everything, and and Christ attained to it because the Father's house is, as someone said, the soul's true home at the still center of the turning world. It's where, like him, we too must be. It's where we can be, as we'll see, even in the stress of life. You see this all through Christ's life, from the beginning to the middle to the end. From the first story of his life here in Luke 11 to the last story of his life in John 18. And we could go anywhere in between to see it. One of my favorite examples of this is in John 11, as we turn from uh, what you might call his early peace to his midlife peace. Ever wonder why Christ didn't have a midlife crisis? Well, it's because of his midlife peace. Someone said that, that quiet minds can't be perplexed or frightened, but go on in fortune or misfortune at their own private pace, like a clock during a thunderstorm. I love that. Christ had his own <laughs> private peace, and so he had his own private pace. It says in verse 6 that when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, then he stayed two days longer at the place where he was. He delayed it two days. As I said, he was proactive in the right way because he wasn't reactive. He wasn't reactive to the, the, the reactivity of others. We, we, we see a crisis and we jump to our feet. He saw the crisis and he, he stayed in his seat in front of an ur- in the face of this urgent plea from friends that were like family and I would have immediately gone because really the need is not the call. All the voices vying for our attention are not the call. No, it's the still small voice that's the call of God. Even when the need is the call, it might not be the time. And how did he know it wasn't the time? How did he know that uh, this sickness wasn't unto death, as he said, for the, but for the glory of God? Well, he was marching to a different drummer. He was following a quiet voice that gave him uh, his own private pace, just as we can do through the voice of the Father. He was always in communion with the Father through worship and prayer, which is how how we hear from him too. It's like he said six chapters earlier in John 5, 19, and I love these verses. These were like his, his method of operating, his, mo, his modus operandi. He, he said, the son, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. You might call this communication through unbroken communion. It's the guidance of the Father's voice that he heard in the Father's house. And so 
Christ wasn't jerked around by the, the anxious uh, expectation of others like we can do because his focus was on the Father, just like ours can be, even in the stress of life. So he found out that Lazarus was sick, and then two days later he said, let us go to him. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are, going to the, you are now going there again? And then yet again, his security countered their anxiety. He had no fear of enemy territory. He was completely at peace. And why? Well, he tells us in verse 9, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. He was walking in the day. He was walking in the light. He was walking in obedience to the Father. Three chapters earlier, he had said, He who sent me is always with me. He has not left me alone, John 8, 29, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He knew that the Father was with him, and that's all that mattered. For he said, anyone who walks in the day, back to John 11, he does not stumble. And if that's not a mandate for us in these dark times, I don't know what is. That is to stay in the day. Because he knew that the real danger was not what was going on around him. It was not like this pummeling of stones that the disciples feared. No, it's a stumbling into sin, falling out of his will, out of his arms, out of the Father, out of the eye uh, uh, of the Father's house, into the hurricane of the world. But I'm centered obediently in him, he said, and in the Father's arms, there's nothing to fear. My folks had that kind of peace. They, they were missionaries in some very dangerous places, but they, they'd always say, when people asked them about how they could go to these places, they'd say, it's safer to be in a dangerous place if you're in God's will than in a safe place if you're out of God's will. I love that. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I'm always obediently centered in him. It's like Augustine said, it is not by change of place that we approach him who is in every place, but by the cultivation of virtuous habits and pure desires. Because the Father's house is not just the place of peace, it's the place of obedience. It's found through the worship of your lips, but also, as we say, through the worship of your life. There's so much more here, but once Christ got there, Martha rushed out. And she said, Lord, verse 21, if you had been here, my father would not have died. She was hysterical. He was immovable. And in his presence, in the space of a single verse, by the very next verse, in verse 11, she had changed. And she said, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And then he speaks to her for just two more verses. And she comes completely to herself and she says, yes, Lord, I have believed, verse 27. And we can be the same way in the crises that surround us. Wouldn't you like to be like that? With a word, he took her out of the hurricane and into the eye at the still center of the turning world that he always carried with him. Out of the weeping village, she came into the hallowed cathedral of his presence, into the temple of the Father. He became a step-down transformer in a very anxious atmosphere. And then Mary came, 
And she fell at his feet, verse 32, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think I've heard that one before. But he has the presence of mind to respond differently to her because she was a different person and she had different needs. And so he responded not with the truth like he did with Martha, but with love. He responded to Mary with tears. And so it says that Jesus saw her weeping. Uh, Literally, it translates, she was wailing uncontrollably. And in contrast to that, in the same verse, it says that Jesus was deeply moved. Literally, that that translates, Jesus troubled himself. He troubled himself and he wept. It's in the middle verse of the verb, which means he wasn't being acted upon. Even in grief, he wasn't reactive, but rather he was proactive to her unique needs. And the contrast couldn't be greater. Mary was reacting in fear and anger. Jesus was responding in love. Mary was beside herself. Jesus troubled himself. He could have just lived above it all, but he chose to stay in touch. He was grieving, but without Uh, despairing. He gave his heart without (laughs) losing his head. He was in pain, yes, but deep down he was still at peace, like a clock during a thunderstorm. And in the shortest, most powerful verses in the Bible, he identified with what she most needed, and he wept. In verse 39, we come to the tomb. Jesus said, remove the stone." And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. So she loses it again. But he centers her again. He says, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Talk about supreme confidence in God, especially when you consider the situation. I mean, there you have all the important Jews watching, along with friends and villagers, and who knows who else many of whom were upset because he was late. And I can tell you as a pastor, I know what that's like. But in front of all these people, he said, remove the stone. Modern translation might be, might uh, dig him up. And you can imagine what some of them were thinking or even saying under their breath. I think think he finally lost it. Uh, This better be good. Yet he wasn't worried in the slightest. And you can tell it by his prayer, verse 41. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me. There it is again. That's the heart of it. You always hear me. I always hear you. We're together in all we do. He'd been talking with the Father all along, and in this connection, in this communion, it was never broken because he was centered in him. And so he had what one man called the dignity of conscious strength, the serenity of repose, the quiet earnestness that only now and then becomes impassioned. But look out when it does become impassioned. Verse 43, And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Someone said that if if he hadn't said Lazarus, everyone buried there might have come forth. But think about it. If God didn't come through, he'd be toast which is often where he find him, we find him. And that's often where we do find him. It's often what it's like to be in his house as we follow his will, where without him we'll be toast, just as many of us may be feeling in the weeks to come. But at the height of this test, Christ was at the height of his peace, and so he was at the height of his power, 
a clear channel for his father. He chose the perfect words in his serenity, a perfect economy of words, and three commands did it all. Verse 39, remove the stone. Verse 43, Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44, unbind him and let him go. You know, if this passage is teaching anything, it's that he had his own private pace, like a clock during a thunderstorm, because separated from the anxiety around him, he had his own private peace from the beginning of the story when he dared to delay. I don't know about you, but what else can you say? But hail the heaven-born prince of peace. It's no wonder that his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And it all flowed out of that, just like can happen to us in the stress of life. Now, this being something like a podcast, I have no idea how long I can go. So I'm going to keep going, and, and we may just keep going it with, uh, with it with just uh, one. We may divide it in two. We'll see. But it's all over the place in the Gospels. You can see it from his early life peace in Luke 2 to his midlife peace in John 11 to his end-of-life peace, you might call it, in John 18. It's the story of Christ in the garden. And there's not time to unpack it except to say that it's all about the presence, uh, a presence of peace, a presence of mind, and a power of spirit that came through that. But even more, it's about the source of peace. Because in the first verse, in John 18, 1, it says, After Jesus has spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples into the garden where it all happened spoken those words. What words? Well, the words of the whole chapter just before, which is his great high priestly prayer. It's the whole of chapter 17. It's a prayer that shows such dependence on the Father, such rest in his arms. And so this means that when Jesus had spoken these words to the Father in heaven, he was ready in John 17. He was ready for the garden in John 18. And in Luke, we're told that he once, once, once he got to the garden, before anything happened, he went to his knees again. And it says, being in agony, verse 22, verse 44, he was praying very fervently. He unloaded on God. And then once again, he got up with such serenity. And the rest is history. From Peter's sheathing his sword at Christ's command to his healing the servant's ear, to the soldiers falling backward at the power of his word, he was centered, and they were floored all through prayer. So we see this all through the Gospels, from beginning to the middle to the end. And Paul says that we too can find peace in the same way. Be anxious for nothing, he says in Philippians 4, 6, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will keep, will guard, will center your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, in whom we're centered in the Father. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Through worship, 
and prayer wherever we go in the temple of the Holy Spirit. So how do you find this even in the stress of life? Well, I told you back in December that I experienced this in a pretty unusual way a few years back in Buena Vista. A few summers ago, some friends and I decided to take a, uh, uh, to, decide, uh, to bike the, uh, the Monarch Crest Trail, this near Monarch Pass on the other side of Buena Vista. It's a 27-mile ride of about 3,000 vertical feet. It's mostly above timberline, so you need to get back before uh, the rain and the thunder come after lunch, lest you become like, you know, sitting ducks and the lightning above timberline. So we drove up the night before. We spent the night in the cabin and got to the trailhead uh, before dawn. And very quickly, <laughs> it became kind of a parable of life. It was pretty rugged terrain, but some of the most beautiful riding I had ever done. And when we got to 12,000 feet, we stopped there and looked at the 360-degree panorama of peaks that were all around us. And one of my friends said, it doesn't get much better than this, does it? But just like in life, soon we were saying, it doesn't get much worse than this. Happened on the turn of a dime, which is just like life, just like what's happening in the world around us. The ride was what they call an out and back. And as we were coming back, it started to rain and then hail and the wind started to blow and then came the lightning and the thunder right above us. And there we were above timberline. And just like in life, you can't always get off when you want to. You can't just, uh, you just have to keep on keeping on, doing your best or your toast. A friend of mine, James Rohde, was behind me and I was in pretty good shape, but this guy, I mean, He's the extreme tort, uh, sport type, and uh, he's seizing upon the opportunity to learn from a pastor, and he's jabbering away behind me and asking all these questions while I'm, you know, as we say up in Summit County, sucking air through a straw. He's asking me about my theology and my family and my marriage, and <laughs> I've got some male ego, and of course, so of course I'd never admit that I was too tired to answer his questions and wanted to just say, James, just shut up and let's keep going. And, and, but then all of a sudden he says, by the way, Brian, if you feel your hair standing on end, that means you've got about three seconds before the lightning strikes and you need to fall off the bike, like lay flat on the ground and cover your ears. And I'm thinking, you can do all that in three seconds? Well, then J Daryl Dingerson, he's another young buck who used to keep my testosterone going and Daryl's in front of me and he looks back and he says, he says, this is about the dumbest thing I've done since high school. And I'm thinking, if it's dumb for you, what is it for me? It was crazy. My, my legs felt like rubber and I really didn't know if I was going to make it, though I sure didn't tell them. And yet, somehow, I felt differentiated from it all. Yeah, there were other emotions, pretty strong emotions in a way, but there was something deeper. There was complete, like, exhaustion in my body, but still, deep down, there was no desperation. Which, I'm telling you, just ask Julie, isn't always the case with me, but that day, it was like the Nike commercial, no fear. And you know why? Well, the day before, a hymn started to play in my mind. You know how it is when you can't get a song out of your head? I think God put it there because he knew what I'd be needing the day after. It's a hymn of worship that's a simple prayer. And through it I found 
the one coordinate that matters. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. And that day, that supplication became kind of like an invocation of his presence that kept my heart and mind at home with him, in him. And it just kept going on and on. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I need thee every hour in joy or pain. Come quickly and abide or life is vain. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. It was like being in a bubble of a temple, a movable temple. It was like wearing, you know, noise-canceling headphones. I was in this step-down transformer that differentiated me from the weather around me. It was Emmanuel, God with us, God in us, who came to bring us home to the Father, even through the thunder, even through earth, wind, and fire, through whatever life dishes up. It was like Amy Carmichael prayed, the great missionary to the lepers in India. She said, and I love this, before the winds that blow do cease, teach me to dwell within thy calm. Before the pain has passed in peace, give me, my God, to sing a psalm. Oh, let's sing psalms in the days to come. Let's turn on our worship. Let's turn to him in prayer. A psalm as simple as, I need thee every hour. As John Calvin said, the only stronghold of safety is by calling on his name, for by so doing we invoke his presence. Bottom line of Christ's peace in the stress of life, Malcolm Muggeridge put it this way. He was the great British journalist and author who converted to the faith at a later age. He wrote a spiritual autobiography called Confessions of a 20th Century Pilgrim. How do you survive this pilgrimage that we're on? A good part of it is this. In the stress of life, he wrote, it is always possible for us to wait on God. All we must do is this, make a little clearing in the wild jungle of our human will and then keep our rendezvous with our creator. He is sure to come. His presence falls like a comforting shadow and then we are at peace. Our tiny exercise in time is lost in the immensity of eternity. This experience 
is open to anyone at any time. Fighting one's way onto a crowded commuter train or sleepless in an endless night and then suddenly peace. It's the bottom line of Christ's peace who at an early age gave us the only coordinate that matters. When he said, I must be in my father's house, whose house is the house of prayer, the place of quiet rest, near to the heart of God, the soul's true home. It's like my mother said in day 17 of 31 days of praise. She talks about all the hard places that life takes us. And then she closes with this. Thank you, Father, that most important of all, my place is in you. How delighted I am to have you as my dwelling place where I can settle down, feel secure, and be content anywhere on earth. You are my blessed home where I can enter and be at rest even when all around me and all above me is a sea of trouble. How my soul delights to hide in the secret of your presence, to take refuge in the shadow of your wings, to eat at your table, to drink my fill at the river of your delights. How blessed I am, my King and my God, for you have chosen me and brought me near to live in your presence, to feel the warm warmth of your embrace, to seek your guidance, and to think that I will dwell in your house forever. I thank you in Jesus' name, she says, Amen. Well, you'll be getting an email this week with more of our plans, our plans for uh, supporting one another, for networking as a body, for assuring the continuity of our ministry, and for reaching out to those around us because he's answered Mark's prayer and kicked us out for a purpose. But of course, you don't have to wait for us and for the email that you'll be getting to be led of the Spirit. He will guide you as you rest in him. And as he does, let us know of any ideas you have as we move forward into this uncharted territory. See you next week. I'll probably be right here for another visit in my study, but we'll let you know. But for now, go. Go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us and through us as never before. 